I'm, I'm gonna invite Thad to come on up at this point and uh, he's gonna join me. We're doing something a little bit different today. As I said, uh, he and I are gonna kind of team teach and we're, we're in this series on First and Second Peter and I just wanna remind you from where you were last week that we have talked about this, this book and, and uh, as, as Thad kind of unpacked it with us, I wanna remind us that this is a book that Peter's addressing a church that's being really, they're facing trials and struggles and all kinds of difficulties. They're sitting underneath Nero at this point, who we know is a very oppressive leader. And so Peter's in a sense trying to get to this group to say, hey, be aware that trials are coming. I know you're facing difficulties, but stand firm in the midst of those things that you're facing. Uh, I, I told the nine o'clock hour, I often wonder when I read Peter's writings, if there's a part of him that's challenging the church to say, hey, d don't do what I did. When I was faced with a challenge, when I was faced with a difficulty, when I was faced with a trial, there was a time in my life when I, had, I could have stood up for Christ and I didn't. And you have to wonder, is there a place in Peter's mind where he, he regrets that? He's speaking from a very unique position to challenge the early church. And today, we wanna talk about this idea that you and I face trials on a regular basis. It's not a question of if, right? It's a question of when. And we are all gonna be in places at some place in our lives where we're gonna face difficulty, where life isn't gonna turn out the way that we thought it was supposed to turn out, where expectations that we have about certain things are not gonna be met and we face very difficult situations. So uh, I wanna share just a quick story to start out with. Uh, Sheila and I, when we were starting to think about having kids, we, uh, we always thought long and hard about our kids' names. I don't know how many of you did this if you have kids, but when we named our kids, like it was, it was, it was a process, right? Like you talk to other kids that are maybe three, four, five years old, and you never wanna pick a name that they can rhyme something with that just would be degrading to your kid, right? So we'd throw names out to, to kids that, that were younger, that, okay, hey, can, how, can, how can you rhyme this name and, and, and can it mean something kind of mean? And, and so as we started to think about names, we really wanted to make sure that we had just somewhat of a biblical spiritual connection. And our first child came along and it was a girl. And so we named her Ashley Faith. We, we made her middle name Faith and obviously that, that idea of being a faithful servant. And so Michaela, our second daughter comes around and we've, we've had uh, two daughters now and, and we're starting to think, all right, who, 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 what, what do we want to name Michaela? And, and we're thinking that spiritual side, and so we name her Michaela Joy, is, is her middle name. And so we have faith and joy, and our, our third child comes around. Now I have to let you know, both of us come from larger families, so we knew we were gonna probably have four or five kids at some point. And our third child comes around, and uh, it's another girl. And I looked at Sheila and I'm sorry, I'm like, hey, do we even know how to make boys at this point? Like, uh, we're, we're on a track record here of girls, but again, same thing, we thought, hey, what would it look like to, to kind of have that spiritual connotation? And so Caitlin Grace is our third daughter. Now we both talked and said, hey, I think we're gonna stop at four. And as our fourth child uh, was, uh, we were doing the sonogram, uh, the, the lady who's doing the sonogram looked at both of us and said, um, do you wanna know what the sex of the baby is? And we said, sure, you know, we found out what our other kids were and we'd love to find out, but we, we're sure it's a girl, so it's no big deal. She said, no. You're having a boy. What? <laughs> we both looked at each other like, really? 
We've, we've never experienced this before. It's a whole new world. Now here, I have to give you a little bit of insight into my mind. My, my first thought was finally, my boy. I get a boy. We're gonna play baseball. We're gonna go to all kinds of games. And so here's the thing. I went the way, like my whole idea when I started to think about naming my son had nothing to do with spiritual things. Here, 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 here was my grid. My grid was whatever we name my son, it's gotta sound really good when it comes over the stadium speakers when he's announced for his first football game or soccer game or whatever he's you know, doing at the time. It's kind of shallow, I know, and so now you have a window in. It's, it's, really, it's really shallow. It's really shallow? Maybe I shouldn't have started with a story. I don't know. So I have this dream as, as, as we're naming uh, our son about what this is gonna look like. And so we tried out all kinds of different names. And so we named him Riley Rhymes. Like, does that sound cool? Like if that's gonna come over the loud, you could be a race car driver, you could be a football player, you could be anything. But that name coming over the loudspeaker, Riley Rhymes, starting blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And so I had this, this dream of when Riley was gonna you know, get into sports and all of that. Well, he, he actually became a pretty good lacrosse player. And as a freshman, he gets called up to varsity. He comes home from tryouts. He's like, hey, mom and dad, I gotta let you know, like, they're calling me up to varsity as a freshman. And my first thought was not, oh, that is so cool. You deserved it. You've worked so hard. My first thought was, yes. His name's gonna be called over the loudspeaker. <laughs> Riley, that's awesome that you just got picked to play on varsity this year, but I'm gonna get to hear, my dream is gonna come true. It's gonna be awesome. Day one, I'm talking to the coach of their first game, or our coach before the first game starts, and I asked him, I said, Mike, I said, hey, who's your starting lineup? He's like, well, just so you know, your son's starting tonight. Now again, my first thought wasn't, oh man, this is awesome. Like Riley, I, I, he's worked so hard, he deserves this. My first thought was, yes, I'm gonna hear his name over the announcement speaker. This is so cool. I know it's shallow, isn't it? And so the announcer comes on, and this is how Riley's first varsity lacrosse announcement goes. And now, starting for your Zealand lacrosse at attack, number one, Riley Remis. It's awesome. Really? For 15 years, I've been dreaming of this night and his name completely gets butchered. Now, just to give you another window into our, our lives, his middle name is Stephen. So there's a prideful thing there too. But I looked at that moment and I thought, wow, this didn't turn out the way I expected. <laughs> now, it's a humorous example, and I'm really not that weird, but I will let you know this. Life comes at us, we expect certain things, we set ourselves up for certain things, and what happens many times, it doesn't go the way we expect it. Trials come in, it doesn't pan out the way we hope, and what Peter is doing here is he is addressing you and me, and he's addressing the church and saying, hey, be ready, be prepared in that moment. Now, you have kind of a humorous story also that, that yeah. illustrates some of this, so share real quick here. Well, because Steve and I were talking this week, and he's like, do you have an illustration of something that didn't go the way that you expected. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Sounds like you've got a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
one of them that I recalled, though, is when I got called to ministry and uh, grew, growing up in the church, you see the pastors and they, they had it all put together, at least I thought, and everything was, you know, they knew the scriptures and they knew how to pray. And so when I got called to ministry, I had a lot of zeal, but not a lot of knowledge. And I, I quickly wanted to reach out to my friends. So first year of college, community school, our church didn't have anything in the mornings for like Sunday school for our age group. So I asked for permission to lead a Sunday school class and they gave me permission and gave me the room. It was the prayer room underneath the stairs uh, in the church. Yeah, so, you know, big time. And then, uh, so I invited everybody that I knew and we had 25 students show up. I mean, I had prepared that week. I mean, I had typed up all the, the notes that I could find and read commentaries. I didn't know how to do that yet, but I was doing whatever I could. And it was like, okay, this is how ministry begins. And so I prayed for the class and I started teaching. And uh, one of my friends in the back of the room raised his hand. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to field questions at this point in time. But anyway, here's what we're going to do. And, and I said, uh, yeah, Scott, what, uh, what, what would you like to ask? And he said, your fly's undone. And that's how my glorious years of ministry began with this expectation that, you know, there'd be this divine movement of God and didn't turn yeah. out the way that I had thought. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's so funny because these are, these are kind of minor examples, right? Some of us are in a place where we, we face significant trials. And I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when I sit back and I go, is there more that I can do in my life to be readied for those situations? Can I do more than just pray? Now, hear what I'm not saying. Prayer is significant. It, it, it has the power to do anything. In fact, if there's anything that we do do in those moments, it's pray. But is there something I can do more in my life to be able to set myself up that when struggles, frustrations, trials, like the church that Peter's addressing here face, that I can do that can change how I approach those kinds of things. And so here's the kind of the key point for this morning that we want to talk about. And this is the thing that's going to kind of guide our thoughts for today and kind of start out with this idea. The key to overcoming trials is how prepared you are to meet them. Think about that for a minute. The key to overcoming trials and making it through trials in a way that's healthy, in a way that's God-honoring, in a way that doesn't destroy you, is to really be prepared to work ahead in those moments. Think about it. Some of you have taken tests in the past when you were in school. How did you feel walking into the test when you were well prepared, you were studied, you'd spent time, and you knew what you were going to uh, take a test on? There's a completely different approach than those of you who, who used to go into tests maybe and you didn't study at all. The confidence isn't there, the, the trust in your abilities, the knowledge, the understanding that you were gonna do well in the midst of those places and in those things. How would you like to get on an airplane and have the pilot come on and say, hey, just so you know, I'm not really prepared today to fly. I've only got a couple of hours of flight time underneath my belt, and I'm not sure I'm ready to go. That would be unsettling for many of us. When we think about this idea of being prepared, Peter lays out three things for us, and he talks about this idea. And so I, I wanna talk about this first verse here as he kind of talks about what it means to be prepared. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert, 
and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be, to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, some of your scriptures are actually going to say, if, I think if you have the New American Standard or another version, it actually says, therefore, gird up your minds. And the idea here was to prepare your mind, to be ready. And if you've heard the term, some of you have studied this, this idea of girding up your loins, when it talks about that in scripture, it talks about men from the East who when they would go into battle or they would face difficult times or they know that they were gonna be active or something was gonna happen where they needed to be prepared physically, they would literally gird up their loins. And what Peter is saying is, prepare for battle, get ready, get your mind set. And I, we actually have an illustration for what this looks like. If you've studied this idea of girding up your loins, you know a little bit about what it looks like. Now, this is kind of a cartoon illustration. Thad and I were talking this week about maybe having him dress with a long robe and run through that, but... That was a bad idea. That was a bad idea. And so we, we, we prepared ourselves to not do that. And... Uh, so this is the idea, this, this concept is you, you basically start with a long robe. They would have a belt that they would have wrapped around their bodies and they literally would take it and they would fold it up underneath themselves and they would tuck it up into their belt. And what it would do is, oops, didn't mean to do that. What it would do is it would give them the freedom to be able to move and to, to be active. And so if it, was a, if it was a task that they had to have or they were involved in, they would do this before they would walk into those situations and be active or, or face a battle. And so Peter literally, the translation is almost saying, hey, be ready, gird up your mind, prepare your mind, be alert and be ready for what's coming at you. And so this scripture, therefore with minds that are alert, fully sober. Think about someone who, who isn't sober. They're making poor choices and poor decisions and they're in a place where they're really not uh, thinking straight in many ways. And Peter's saying, be sober in those moments. Get ready, prepare for life, be mindful, be alert for the things around you. And I would tell you this, that one of the struggles that I have in life is I'm not always the most alert person. Uh, I'm not always aware of my surroundings. And this is the idea that Peter is saying, man, if you're gonna prepare, think about the things that are around you. Be prepared to face the trials that, that are gonna come at you. I was actually driving a rental car a number of years ago and uh, we got a picture of it here, I, uh, a couple more here. And I looked down uh, at my dashboard and I realized that the gas was, was uh, almost on empty. And uh, many of you have seen this. Do you know what this is a picture of? Okay, most of you are shaking your heads. This is actually a picture of a gas tank that is on the, on the dash of most of your cars. So here's the thing, I'm laughing because I pull up into the gas station, I get out of the car as I have a rental car, and I'm walking around the outside of the car trying to find the gas tank. And the buddy in the passenger seat next to me is going, Steve, what are you doing? I'm looking for the gas tank. He said, have you looked at the dashboard of the car? No. Well, if you look at the dashboard, there's an arrow next to the gas tank that tells you which side of the gas tank that the car, or the car, that, uh, which side of the car that the gas tank is on. I'm like, are you kidding me? I never knew that. Now, I want you to be honest with, with how many of you that you've seen this for the very first time, you never knew this? Half of you are lying right now. 
I didn't know this till like two years ago. Most of you in your cars, you're all gonna get in your cars this afternoon and take off. But the gas tank's uh, signal in your, on your dash has an arrow that tells you which side of the, man, how unalert could you be? <laughs> and Peter's saying, man, if you're gonna be prepared, if you're gonna be ready, be alert, be aware, be readied and prepared for what's gonna come. And there's three things that he basically lays out in the midst of this scripture. And that's gonna kind of walk us through the first two that we can begin to do to be prepared. I'll share the last thing and then we'll kind of wrap up for the morning. So uh, the next few verses kind of unpack that for us. In verse 14, as Peter continues, he, he says, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Talking about the way you used to live before you were a follower of Jesus. This word obedient, uh, children, it, it's in the Greek, it means ongoing. It's not this idea that you're just obedient once, right? You don't just do one thing right, but this is a habit of yours, that you walk in obedience, saying yes to the Lord. To, be, to not conform means to not be swayed by the ways of culture or the ways of the world. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century uh, preacher, um, when he preached on this text, he called Girded for the Work was the title of his message. I don't know that I'd want that on the front of the church sign, but, uh, <laughs> but what he said about this passage is this idea that doctrine may become dangerous if it's not reduced to practice. And he talked about the fact that oftentimes we think we know the scriptures, we know the Bible, you go to church, you go to a growth group, you call yourself a Christian, but the reality is, is you don't walk in obedience to those very truths that you know. You might be able to correct someone, you, you might try to correct people and teach them what the Bible says, but you yourself are not walking in obedience. And he said that if you really want to be holy, if you really want to live out your holiness, you need to be obedient in the little things and what you're doing to prepare for those events. So I'm having a conversation this week with uh, a Marine, one of my one lifes, and uh, he's a Marine fought in Iraq, faced confrontation, lives with that reality. So we have a lot of different conversations about how he is dealing with some of those things. And I knew I was talking about this text, and I said, hey, Peter has this illustration of preparing kind of for battle you know, girding your minds and being ready for whatever you're going to face. What does that look like as a Marine? And those of you who are in the, uh, in the military, been in the military, you, you can tell me the same thing. He said, it starts at the beginning. You know, you get up in the morning, they tell you when to get up, they tell you, you know, you run. It, you run nowhere for long periods of time, but it's to get you in shape for what you're gonna face. He said a lot of it has to do with the communication, talking back and forth, what do you say? Who do you call sir? How do you respond appropriately? For many young men, it might be the time, men and women, it might be the time, the first time they've held a weapon or a particular type of weapon. So they have to learn how to carry that, how to shoot it. You're not gonna be in the middle of a battle, your gun jams, and you pull out your phone and look up on YouTube how to unjam your gun. <laughs> right? you, you, it's not the time to do that. So you practice these things all throughout to get you ready for when you face those confrontations. And I think Peter is saying the same thing here. That for us as believers, you don't wait until crisis in your life before you begin to pray and understand that, that communication with God. 
You, you don't wait until a crisis to show up and make worship a regular part of your life. You don't wait until crisis or a battle to open up God's word and begin to read what it says. You don't, you don't face that and open it up and go, I wonder if the Bible says anything about this. It's being in the word every day. It's praying every day. It's being a part of community with other believers in worship so that when you face things that are unexpected, you can go, oh, yeah, the Bible says this. Or you have others who are followers of Christ who come alongside of you and who can support you. And it may not feel all that great at the time, but when you're faced with something big, if you've been obedient in the little things, it's a reminder that, oh yeah, God was with me all through that. He'll be with me through this as well. And so the first way that we prepare ourselves, Peter says, is through our obedience. The second is to be holy. And he quotes from Leviticus 19, be holy because I am holy. Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. So Peter's just bringing up the words that he heard from Jesus himself. The word holy means to be complete or set apart. And so Peter says, listen, you want to be prepared. You need to look different than the rest of the culture. You need to be set apart so that all you do is for God. And that other people recognize that. My wife and I are on vacation a couple, about a month ago, and uh, we, we rode our bikes out for coffee one morning because Jesus loves coffee. And we, we were, we were <laughs> and waiting. And so does that. Yes, I do. <laughs> so we're waiting in line, and there's a group, uh, there's a group of individuals in front of us and uh, I just randomly say out loud, has anybody ever been to Grand Haven? Now we're in South Carolina. And uh, one of the guys turns around and says, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm headed there. I'm moving there soon. Now, what, you, what I didn't tell you is the reason I asked that question is they were all Coast Guard. And I knew that because of the way they looked. And so the guy says, yeah, my wife and I are moving there. We're getting stationed there. It's moving up to North Muskegon. I gave him information about the church, gave him the name of my insurance guy. We had this whole conversation going on. <laughs> but the reason I knew to ask that question or address is because I, I knew it was Coast Guard because they, they were all dressed that way. When you travel, you see military, you see individuals wearing their uniforms. And it sets them apart. You know who they are. I think Peter would ask us the question, do, do your friends know that about you? Mm. Would they be able to identify that you're a follower of Jesus? Would they be able to, you know, people that you work with, go to school with, people in your neighborhood, when they're facing difficulty, could they knock on your door and go, hey, I know this sounds weird, we don't talk all the time, but could you pray for me? I know you know Jesus. Is there something about your life? Are you set apart that other people recognize that? My dad's on a motorcycle trip this week, probably having the time of his life. It's first time riding two-week trip out west. And um, he's texting me and sending me photos. But this trip all started because there was a group of guys that wanted to go on this trip out west. But they wanted to go hit all the casinos and the bars. And one of the guys in the, in the group said to my dad, Jack, that's not you. Because that's just not his lifestyle. And they're like, you're not, you're not gonna wanna come. This is not gonna be fun for you. How about you and I take our own trip? And so it's just my dad and his, and his buddy and they're out riding motorcycles this week mm -hmm. uh, out to Mount Rushmore and stuff. But their whole trip started because someone in the group knew that my dad was different. Mm -hmm. He was set apart 
There was things about the culture that he didn't embrace. And Peter says that. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be holy, be set apart. And if you do that, you'll be prepared for things that are to come. Yeah, so, so be obedient, be holy. And I think that, <clears throat> that idea of being set apart really sets us up so well for the third thing. And these are three things that if you're, you're gonna be successful, I think in the midst of trials, especially preparing, that, uh, that are gonna be really helpful for you. So the third one is this, is this idea of being a foreigner. So Peter goes on in this scripture and he says this, since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. It's this idea that, that again, Thad unpacked this last week with us a little bit of when we're here upon this earth, we have to understand like it should feel different. It should feel kind of uh, like that we are set apart. And just as he talked about his dad, that lifestyle that, that, that we live should be recognizable by people that, that we're not so blended in to our environment around us. And um, I, I thought about this as I was thinking about this idea idea of being, you know, a foreigner. And uh, I was sharing with that, like he, he, he's been on a ton of trips as our outreach pastor. I mean, he's been all over the world. I haven't done as much traveling as he has, but I've been, had the opportunity to go to, to different places uh, overseas. And one of the places that's always been a love of ours is Australia and ministering there. There's, there's a Wesleyan church there and there's just some really great things that are happening there. But I remember going there and there was this level of just fitting in and being comfortable and settled in, if you've ever been to Australia, like they talk a little funny, but they talk English and the food is great. And I grew up in Southern California. I think the statistic, and I'm going to be off on this, but somewhere between 80 and 90% of the population of Australia lives within like 50 miles of any beach. And so man, growing up around the beach, I loved it. I just, the three times I was there, there was such a comfort level that you just fit in and you just, it just felt like a place that I could be and kind of just you know, be, be there and be a part of it. And I've also been to other places where, man, it felt so, so foreign to me. And again, as I grew up in Southern California, we would go down to Mexico on missions trips and we would come into some of the most impoverished areas where there was hardly any food. And I mean, they didn't even have vehicles and it was dirty and, and the language was difficult. I didn't understand Spanish at the time. And, and I was such a foreigner in that place. And this is the picture I think that Peter is giving to us. And my question to you as we think about this is, which land are you living in? Are you living in Australia or are you living in Mexico? Now, I'm not saying make life purposely hard, but do we feel so comfortable that we become a part of our world that when trials, struggles, frustrations come our way, that we handle it the exact same way that the world handles it? We, we throw up our arms. We don't know how to deal with it. It becomes something that just we're so uh, kind of encapsulated by it. And our focus is just that thing and not the greater picture of what the scripture says here to be focused on the hope of God. I want to share one other quick story with you too and then I'm going to hand it back to Thad to close it. But there's a gentleman who has probably, if you were to ask me, Steve, could you name probably three of the most impactful people in your life uh, and in your ministry, who, who would you name? And I, I would share with you the man on my right here is a man by the name of Viliami Paella. Uh, he and I became close, we became great friends. Two completely different cultures. Uh, he's, ta he's of Tongan descent. 
But let me tell you about the first time I met Viliami. Uh, he had visited the church that I was pastoring in California on a Sunday, didn't get a chance to meet him. He kind of got out the, the, the door before I actually had an opportunity to meet him. Two days later, I get a phone call from a family member of his and says, Steve, could you come over to Viliami's house? His wife and youngest son have just been tragically killed in a car accident. Now tell me as a pastor, how, how do you even begin to know what to say or address someone in those kinds of situations? I, I went to Viliami's house and I'm not even to do it justice to describe how this man handled himself and from that day forth how he handled himself, but I have never seen someone handle tragedy and a struggle and a trial in a way that he handled it. And I'll tell you why. Because he was someone who lived above the world. He was someone who had a different perspective. His son tragically died a number of years later and I'm like, Viliami, dude, how, how? How do you have this spirit? How do you approach this stuff? How does life look different to you in the midst of these things? Dude, you, you have been hit by some of the hardest things that anyone on this planet would be hit from. And he's like, Steve, you don't understand. I don't live for this world. I live for my future. I'm gonna see them one day. My hope is not in the surroundings around me and the tragedy that my family has faced is not the thing that I grasp a hold of. No, 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 no. There's something greater in my life than that and that's my relationship with Christ, my foundation, my trust, my faith is in that and the hope, as Peter says in this scripture, of what that future looks like, that's how I can look different. And that's the challenge, I think, for us. Now, as the scripture wraps up, there's, there's a really important verse at the end of this chapter. And if you've been around All Shores for any length of time, you know this is a, a verse that Thad uses literally every time you speak as you prepare us to enter into a message. And so, yeah, as we kind of close today, share a little bit about that and just what it means to you. Yeah, uh, well, for Peter, he closes out by uh, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And it's fascinating to me as he's talking about preparing you know, for things that you're gonna face uh, that he would conclude this section by drawing from the Old Testament. And when you look at that, I always ask the question, okay, they could have chosen any verse from the Old Testament, maybe a psalm, maybe something from you know, Joshua 1, 9, 10, you know, that God is with you, be strong and courageous. You know, he could have chosen from anything, but he the Spirit leads him to Isaiah chapter 40 in these words that all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade or fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. And so Peter, in, in sharing with the church, reminds us of the value and the endurance of the word of God. That if we're gonna, if we're gonna be uh, obedient, if we're gonna be holy, if we're gonna live like a foreigner, that there is something that we can come back to that isn't gonna fail us. You know, you're gonna face expectations or you're gonna face things that you didn't expect, that you didn't want, that you didn't ask for. Some of them are gonna be trials, some of them are gonna be struggles. But the one thing that you can come back to that will never change, that won't fail you, is the word of God. And by going to it on a regular basis, you learn obedience. You learn to walk holy. You learn to live out a different kingdom than the one that we are presently in. And so Peter encourages us 
to stick with the word of God. And if there's a challenge for any of you today that, you know, the key to overcoming trials, difficulties, the key to that is how prepared you are to meet those things, then we start here. And so wherever you are at on that spectrum, you know, I think Peter would say, listen, begin here, end here, but make this a regular part of your life because you will learn to walk in obedience, be holy, and live as a foreigner. You'll be prepared to face whatever this life has to throw at you. So let me encourage you to start in the word of God, be in the word of God, make that a regular part of your routine so that no matter what you face, you can come back to it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the word that Peter preached to us, the very words of Christ. To be holy as you are holy, to be set apart, to be ready to face whatever struggles we might have. And Lord, I know that there are those who are here today who just this very week are facing difficulties, things they didn't ask for. God, we know that you are in all of that. I pray that as children who are obedient, we would simply come back to you each and every day that we would be obedient in the little things that you are asking us to do so that we are ready for those bigger struggles. God, that you would call us to set aside the sin that so easily besets us, and that we would run the race and we would live out a lifestyle of holiness and that people would recognize how different we are in this culture, that we even seem foreign in the midst of it. So Lord, prepare us today, we pray, as we commit ourselves to following you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.